Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. I am Kurt Heelan, the managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk, and joining us today, none other than our own Dan Feldman from Pro Basketball Talk. How you doing, Dan? Good. How are you? Uh, well, I think we're both doing better than Lionel Hollins and Billy King, who uh, I think before we get to today's topic for this podcast, which is midseason awards, we got to dwell on this for a few minutes. The... Uh, the Brooklyn Nets have decided to clean house midseason. Lionel Hollins is out as coach. Billy King has been quote-unquote reassigned, which is like I'm going to collect my checks until I'm done, or maybe they'll make me do some scouting. Uh, they're cleaning house midseason in Brooklyn. Everybody expected them to do this offseason, Dan, but it's a little surprising that they did it now. And I think that makes some sense. You you let the at least you start the search for the next GM. Maybe the next GM will be somebody you can't hire midseason, uh, but maybe it will be somebody you can. And if it is, uh, you let them come in, especially if they're coming from outside the NBA without NBA experience, as as we've written about that possibility. Uh, you let them learn the roster, uh, scout the draft, maybe approach the trade deadline with their long term views in mind, rather than Billy King trying to do whatever he feels he needs to do to save the job. And importantly, if it's somebody coming from outside the NBA, uh, let them take time to learn about the salary cap and how everything works. Yeah, the rumor is that that Mikhail Prokhorov, the owner, is interested in bringing in the president of CSKA Moscow to take over. And look, certainly the guy knows basketball. He's turned that club into a European powerhouse. But it's a very, very different animal in the NBA in terms of, like you said, the salary cap plus... Look, simply just relationships. I mean, being a general manager in a lot of ways is about having relationships with people and trusting them and setting these things deals up over time. And and this guy would come in cold to all of that. Um, so this would help with that if they're going that direction. Other rumors out there are John Calipari, which uh, Brett Yomark has always pushed for within that organization. I'm not sure if Calipari would take that. And then, of course, uh, the, the usual suspects. Thibodeau, Van Gundy, Mark Jackson will put his name out there. There'll be some others. What direction do you see them going? Do you think I, I just because it's Prokhorov, I kind of expect some sort of like radical, bold move where he'll try to hire a Calipari or a Thibodeau and give them a lot of power. I certainly think that's possible, but it's been I mean, since that initial push where where they, you know, traded for Darren Williams, they, they traded for Garnett and Paul Pierce. I mean, since that really big push, you know, a couple years ago, 
they haven't made the big splash. They haven't done anything yeah. like too radical. So I, you know, I, I wouldn't assume that they're going to again this time. I, I think the right thing to do is you start with the GM, you, yeah. you pick a GM and, and whether he's also your coach, but you let him pick the coach. Yeah. Well, exactly. First off, you've got to go GM coach and be, I think the problem with anybody who takes over that Nets job is they don't have a lot of talent on the roster, obviously at 10 and 27, they got some gaping holes. They don't control their own draft pick this year or control it. They don't have it this year, first round pick this year. They don't control their own first round pick until 2019. Their roster, their ability to build this roster is going to be challenged. Um, and whoever gets this job, it's going to be a long process. And I don't know if ownership is that patient. What other choice do they have? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe it's going to cost you a job. I I think this is going going to be the worst job in the league over the next few years. Like oh, you yeah. said, no draft pick, uh, no players already on the roster who you feel great about building around. I mean, Brooke Lopez is a fine player. Thaddeus Young is a fine player. But this is where they get you. They get you fired if, if your expectation is to win this year or to win anytime soon. And there's no great way to get reinforcements unless you happen to hit a free agent who – for whatever reason, you know, everybody has their own reasons, wants to play for the Nets because he wants to be in Brooklyn. Yeah, or you get you get lucky in the draft and, and you get, you know, you hit it big with a, a second rounder or a late first in the years, you, you'll have those. Or you get lucky in free agency and, and you're in on a guy before he blows up. But those are all extreme long shots. I don't think they're going to get any GM who has other offers. This, yeah, is, this I... is the worst job, at least unless they pay somebody so much money. But even then... You know, somebody's going to come in with a big salary. Maybe you get an established GM who wants that. Their ability to do anything is still so limited. Yeah, that's the problem. It's just going to be very hard to re- look. To, to use the easy examples from this year, it's not just Kevin Durant. Like the next tier, because he's kind of his own tier, I think this summer. But the next tier, the Al Horford, Mike Conley's, those guys aren't going to look at Brooklyn and go, "Yeah, that's a situation that looks promising for me." I think I'll go there. It, you're going to have to get guys down the roster and and get some young players from somewhere and build up and that may involve having to trade Thaddeus Young and look they would love to move Joe Johnson if they don't they'll probably buy him out I, I don't know that anybody's going to make a trade for him to take on that salary I, it just it's so you know it's so exorbitant that I would think I'd take my chances even if it's riskier taking him you know off the free agent pile than than uh than trying to trade for him so it's just kind of a I just it, the whole thing is kind of a mess, and now comes the report that that Billy King's job is partially to help them find a new GM. So you don't trust him to run your team, but you trust him to help find the guy who's going to run the team. I don't Brilliant. see. I don't see where that could possibly go wrong, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Nets, yeah, the Nets could be in this situation for a while. This is going to be an interesting, interesting mess. Um, we'll move on now to. I think. Look, this is. We'll be talking about how bad the Nets are for a while. So we'll move on and talk about uh, some of the fun stuff around the NBA. We're not quite at the halfway point, really. We probably should do this podcast next week, but I, Dan and I are not patient people. So we're going to go this week with, uh, with our, MB, uh, our our midseason award choices as we, as we kind of reach that point in the NBA. We'll start with the MVP race where, Dan, I'm guessing that we both have the same guy at the top of the list. Oh, you have Stephen Curry too? Yeah, shockingly. So, I, I cannot believe it. Yeah. He has kind of run – Is he? he's run away with this a little bit early on. I Maybe he's come back to the pack a little lately, but he's still got a comfortable lead, would you say? I think so, I, which is incredible because Kawhi Leonard's playing awesome. Like yeah. he would be a strong number two 
you know, he'd, he'd be a fine choice most years as number one. This year he's like a very strong number two, and and he's pushing Curry a little bit. Like if Curry, if Curry gets hurt and and misses time or lags a little bit, like Kawhi could pass him. But I'm I'm pretty comfortable with that. Curry is number one so far. Yeah, I think Kawhi's in there. I think, and this always hurts them when they when it would come to actual voting. But like I, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook would be both in my top five easily. Like they, I, I actually would have them like, I'd probably have Durant too. He's been so efficient. He's been so phenomenal. Leonard's right there. Russell's right there. And, and then, you know, round it out with LeBron James or whoever you want. LeBron's played phenomenally as well. But I think that they're all a step, a step back. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I were going the full five ballot, be Curry one, Kawhi Leonard two, uh, and then three and four would be a very tough call between Westbrook and Durant. I'd give Westbrook a, a slight edge just because he's played more. Durant's missed a few games. Like by the end of the year, if he stays healthy, the impact of that will be smaller, you know, percentage of the total games. But I'd, I'd knock him just a little bit for missing those games. And then I think five, I you know, I went with I'd go with LeBron. Uh, but I think there are a couple other guys who are in striking distance. Like I think there's a clear drop from one to two, and then two to three and four three and four a bunch together and then another drop to five. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I would agree with that. I think it's, I, I think right now though, the, the race you're right is probably Curry. And, and just as long as San Antonio keeps playing like this, Kawhi Leonard stays in the conversation. I think that that's fair or not. That's always been part of the criteria for a lot of voters. You can't win the MVP if you're not on a good team. Well, Kawhi Leonard's on a team, arguably as good as golden state. Yeah, I mean it's it's not a factor I use intentionally. It might creep in a little bit, and and obviously, good players tend to play for good teams because they tend to make their teams good. Not always, uh, but tends to be a way. But I just think Leonard's been awesome. You know, I I don't I don't think I'm giving him bonus points for how good the Spurs are as a team around him. He's just been great. I mean, he's become a number one option. He's improved his efficiency. He's still a, a defensive terror. I mean, he, he's really elevated his game to the next level. He absolutely has. And I think that that's one of the things that makes the Spurs so dangerous this year is that him and the addition of LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, they won that title. They did all this stuff running offensive sets. I mean, they, they put the ball in Tony Parker's hands, but it was the ball movement and they're doing all, you know, all these sets. They've got now two guys they can just give the ball to and, and say, go get us some buckets. And, yeah. and they haven't had that for a couple of years. And that really has helped their offense uh, through the course of this year. And be able to be, look, that's big in the playoffs when it, occasionally you can come down and just throw it into throw it into Lamarcus because he's got a matchup he can exploit, and it just starts to break down their defense. No, absolutely. I mean this this team is very good right now, and it, it's not it's not fake regular season good. Like this is definitely going to translate. They might they might not win a playoff series given how stacked the West is like, but that wouldn't at all diminish how good this team actually is. Yeah. You know, the, the, the top four in the West are really interesting, but I think that they've separated themselves from from the bottom four. I think, like, I right now I'd feel fairly safe in saying that San Antonio, Golden State, the Thunder, and probably the Clippers uh, would move on to that second round. Um, beyond that, you know, then it gets interesting in who's healthy in matchups and a lot of stuff. So. Sure. Uh, we will move on then to another one where I, I'm going to guess we agree. We didn't talk about this beforehand because we don't prepare that way. <laughs> but... Uh, Rookie of the year, I'm going to guess that Carl Anthony Towns is on top of your ballot as well. You got it. He's he's having a, a spectacular season. Really, one of the strongest rookie seasons in, in quite a while. He, you know, he's he's a force, especially offensively on the glass. He's a, a helpful defender. Like he he looks like the complete package. Yeah, and and honestly, they were thinking that his defense wasn't going to come as long as fast as it has. 
He's been good on the defensive end. Um, you know, not great yet. He's not he's not an elite defender, but much better than you'd expect at, expected for him out of a rookie. And he's shown the ability not only to protect the rim, but to kind of show out and help out on the perimeter with the pick and roll. He's, he's got great legs and moves out there. And then offensively, again, it was one of those, how long is it going to take him to develop? It turns out, Dan, not too long. <laughs> no, I mean, going into the draft, I, I felt strongly, and I, I don't think this is an unpopular opinion, that he was should have been the number one pick it was pretty clear like he looked like the best prospect and, and probably rated as the best player for his rookie year uh, he didn't seem too unready to me and I didn't pick him as rookie of the year and I, I feel real stupid about it in hindsight like I definitely yeah. overthought it I figured well you know Minnesota has some other bigs how big of a role is he going to have Jaleel Okafor is going to have a huge role Manuel Moutier is going to have a huge role like maybe Towns will be the best player uh, but won't prove that you know he's produced the most that he's gonna have the biggest numbers and that was just way overthinking it he, he was the best player going into the draft and he's the best player uh, among that draft class right now yeah I agree I, I going into the season thought look this is a team with Andrew Wiggins who's got to get a lot of touches and points and, and all this and like how is he gonna put up the numbers he needs to when I again I, I think we both expected a little more out of Moutier but then we knew Okafor would put up numbers and he has and and it's just not the same it's just it, it, what is expected uh, and what he's doing there in um, Minnesota Towns is doing is, look, they've got, this is a team now, you look at them, you're like, they have two franchise cornerstone pieces. This is a team that should be really, really good in a couple years. Yeah. Yep. So we will move. I, oh, who else do you have on your list? We should throw that out real quick on the, on the, uh, on the rookie of the year. I mean, I, to be blunt, I, if I was filling up the three person ballot, Porzingis would be second and Okafor would be third. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you on third. I, I think Porzingis is a pretty clear second, and yeah. in a lot of years he would probably win it. But Towns is having a, a rookie season for the ages. Third, I'm I'm gonna go a little different, and I don't think it's that that close. Uh, but Okafor would probably be my fourth. I'm gonna take uh, Nikola Jokic from the Nuggets, who doesn't play quite as much, uh, but he's so much more efficient. He he has a little bit more of an all-around game. He's a better defender. Uh, you know, he, he makes some difference in the paint. He's skilled offensively, has yeah. range out to the three-point arc. He can pass. Uh, you know, I, I think he's doing more even in limited minutes. It it reminds me a little bit of the debate last year uh, to the extent that it was between Nikola Miritich and Andrew Wiggins for Rookie of the Year. We had Wiggins putting up the, the much bigger numbers, and he's kind of like what Jalil Okafor is this year. Uh, but the reason I side with, with Jokic, unlike Morodic, you can't say that, you know, he's playing for some – you know, real established, real set offense where he just yeah. has to play a small role. Like the Nuggets are up and down, they're shaky. And so for him to have this type of efficiency on that team, I, I think it shows that he'd be number three on my ballot. Yeah, he would have been four on mine, and, and, and the numbers, I think, bear into it for me and, and what's being asked of Okafor. But, and, you know, add to that, though, that I, that becomes a really interesting team in Denver where they got Jokic. They, you know, we've mentioned Moutier, who, again, I look, he needs some work, but I think that there's things to like about him. And they've still got Nurkic. They've got, like, um, they just got back. I mean, they've got some talent there, young talent, that if it melds together right, becomes really interesting. Yeah, I'm with you on that. One one other thing I'll add is uh, Okafor has been much more consistent since the 76ers have gotten Ish Smith. I'd yeah. hardly be surprised if by the end of the year uh, he's passed Jokic in the rankings for this. Uh, I would be a little surprised if he got up to the Towns Porzingis level, but I'd say at least getting to Porzingis is possible. Well, it's shocking. So you're saying a point guard who can get the ball <laughs> into the big man 
effectively will help the big man. That's a that's a that's a radical basketball concept, Dan. Yeah, I know. Just just real groundbreaking Jerry Colangelo stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I you know it's funny because I've I've said this on a bunch of radio interviews too, where it's like. Ish Smith is a third point guard everywhere else, but he's so much better than anybody they had that suddenly, like, wow, look, the, the offense is running. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, if that's your goal, if you want to make a terrible team marginally better, Ish Smith is the is the perfect guy. <laughs> and isn't that isn't that the goal right now to look less embarrassing on your way to hopefully having the number one pick? So. Well, you better not mess around and cost yourself you know, the top lottery ads. Yeah, that, that would be interesting if the, you know, the Lakers are still, Byron Scott's still trying to win games though for, you know, in bless his heart. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll move on to a uh, defensive player of the year. Um, I'm going to yeah, I've got Kawhi Leonard at the top of this list. I, I, I do you as well. Are we going to disagree? I think we're only going to disagree on one of these, but it's not this one. Yeah. Yeah. Kawhi's been so phenomenal. And again, I think that this is, one of those situations where sometimes where you feel like if he's not going to win MVP, they're definitely going to, there's going to be voters that make sure he wins this, but he's earned it. He's been locked down. You know, he won it last year and he's been phenomenal this year. Yeah. I mean, he, in some ways, maybe if he were fully healthy last year, maybe we wouldn't uh, be as amazed by this, but you know, this is, you know, he's doing it all this year and his defense hasn't let up. The Spurs are, are a great defensive team. He's the heart of it. You know, I, I think my number two guy, that's Draymond Green, yeah. is also an excellent defender, but it, it really speaks to how good Kawhi Leonard is that I didn't have to think twice about it. That that even beyond compared to somebody like Draymond Green, that Kawhi is just so far above and beyond. You and I are on the same page there, too. We have Draymond second, and again, it's it's all the reasons I wanted to vote for him last year. I would have voted for him number one last year, which is can defend a bunch of positions. His versatility defensively makes their ability to go small where they're so dangerous and, and bring out that, you know, killer lineup. It, it happens because of, uh, it's all possible because of Draymond Green, who's playing, frankly, better this year than he did last year. He's, he's improved. He's earning that contract. I think most of improvement, his improvement, though, has been offensively. I think yes. he's at the same level defensively, which is nothing to be ashamed of. No. no. Who else do you have on your list? Because I was actually thinking of putting somebody like Andre Drummond third. Who's yeah, got... honestly, I, I didn't write anybody down third because nobody stood out to me above the pack. Like, I, I think there are a lot of good defensive players in the league, uh, but nobody near the Kawhi Draymond Green level, nobody no. who really separates themselves. I, I could not come up with with anybody who who I just really felt like, yep, that, that's the guy or that even thought was plausible. Like, I don't think Drummond's a bad choice. Uh, he's having a nice defensive year. He makes a, a difference inside for the Pistons. Makes a difference inside his real plus minus numbers, you know, is, is you know, which I stole from ESPN's numbers, but the, there's a variations of the this kind of, um, you know, the modified plus minus to, to try to account for things out there. Uh, they, theirs is as solid as anybody's uh, that's public anyway. Drummond does really well there defensively. Obviously, part of what he does well is absorb rebounds. Like you don't get as many second chances around him, but he does block some shots. He is a big body in the paint. Uh, and he wasn't as good. This is one of those things you can credit Stan Van Gundy for. He was not this good defensively a year ago. No, he wasn't. He's he's made a lot of progress, and you know I'd, I'd credit Drummond first and foremost, but yeah. Van Gundy's done a good job around him. That was definitely a team that, before Van Gundy got there, had a lot of trouble understand even understanding what they wanted to do defensively, let alone actually going and accomplishing it. Uh, but it, you know, among other guys who I would consider, uh, Tim Duncan 
still yeah. like he might be there i, I uh, consider De- that when i was looking at a third person yeah uh deandre jordan having a great defensive year which by the uh, way look i've been one of those guys more than most down on deandre as the defensive like as a defensive anchor as the guy that doc rivers had always touted as the you know the best defender in the league and i i kind of poo-pooed that for a long time He's been better this year. This has been his best defensive season. It's been his most consistent defensive season. He has been improved for uh, the Clippers, and that's helped their defense along. Definitely. Like, this doesn't retroactively make the argument that he should have won it last year correct. He's he, a different he, he, he defender He should not have won year. it last year. Yeah. No, no, he shouldn't have won it last year or the couple years before that. Let, let, let's be clear. That, that, that stuff is just simply not true, but... He's been better this year, and if you want to put him in the conversation for that, you know, like you said, I think he's. I I agree with you that there's a drop off after the top two. But if you want to put him in that conversation for the third spot, I think that that's a valid valid point to make. And then just the one other name I'll, I'll mention, and I, he hasn't played enough. Like I would take, I'd probably lean toward DeAndre Jordan for that third spot. Uh, but Andrew Bogut, if he stays healthy, he's always yeah. been a very good defender. Uh, if he stays healthy and, and gets a little more minutes the the rest of the year. He could he could be in that conversation for that third spot, but I, I find it t- it tough to believe that unless Kawhi Leonard or Draymond Green get hurt, they won't deserve to finish one two. Yeah, I I, w- I would tend to agree there. I tend to I tend to think that that barring some something major, yeah, they they will finish one and two, and Doc Rivers will complain about it, and we will all tell Doc he's wrong, and he won't listen <laughs> to us. Um, we'll move on. Uh, more interesting, the sixth man of the year. Um, I, uh, let's be honest. I'll be honest with you. I didn't love anybody. Like I didn't look yeah. and say, "Wow, that guy has rocked it off the bench." And I know this is your favorite award, so I'm sure you were excited to choose as well. Well, this is this is the one where I think we're going to disagree. Okay, uh, I've, I, I've got Andre Iguodala. You know, I have him third on my list, but I I, I think you can make an argument for him. I, I I've gone with the conventional wisdom, which is which is Ryan Anderson, who's put up good numbers off the bench for uh, the Pelicans, but. Uh, Occasionally lately, including on Sunday, thrust into a starting role for them. Um, he's averaging, I think, 16 a game. Look, he is, if not the best stretch four in the game, right on par with the best stretch four in the game. And, and and you know, I really like how Anderson has played off the bench for what has been a bad Pelicans team otherwise. But you make your case for Iguodala. I, you know, I like Ryan Anderson. Uh, he's he's having a nice year, and he's he's putting up numbers. My case for Iguodala is essentially that he's he's quality player on both ends. He he defends. He you know you can put him on anybody. He's going to help keep the ball moving. He's a he's a very good passer. He can score efficiently. He's going to make shots from the outside. Like keep their keep Golden State spacing. You know, a, a lot of what they do is. I'll give them credit for this. Their system is, is really based on getting everybody on that team in, in position to succeed. But I think Iguodala, more than the average player, helps put his teammates in position to succeed. I would buy that. I, look, I think that he's so key to what they do. And, and by the way, he becomes one of the really interesting offseason questions for them. I think Bogut less so because of Festus Azili's emergence. You can wonder whether they can get by without Bogut if they can bring in another big. But... It's going to be hard for them to replace what Andre Iguodala does, but it's going to be hard to pay him. Right. It, it's, you know, I guess it depends how much they want to keep their team together, how much they're looking to make a, a big play at somebody like Kevin Durant. Uh, but, it, you know, if they, if they want to keep this group together, I think that'll be feasible as the cap goes up. I don't think that'll be too hard. Uh, but it, those are the questions they're going to face. 
by the way, do you think that, the, I mean, I think that they'll at least put feelers out, but do you think that there's a serious run at Durant from them? Because I've got a feeling, like, if you're Bob Myers and you're sitting there, on one hand, you're like, man, that's Kevin Durant. On the other side, you're like, we just won the, you know, we've won a finals and whatever happens this year, they will be one of the, you know, barring, again, barring something catastrophic, they will go down as one of the three best teams in the league this year. Are you going to mess with that? Well, so I, I think this is where the line is. I think you go all out until you have to do something. Uh, you know, you look at a team like the Suns last year, who, okay, you know, they were a fine team the last couple of years, but going into into the summer, they made trades to get LaMarcus Aldridge, obviously without knowing they were going to get LaMarcus Aldridge. They traded away a quality player in Marcus Morris and angered Markeith Morris, and, you know, maybe that made sense. To make that risk, maybe it didn't. With with their roster, though, you could argue, like, what's the downside? All right, you're going to be another so-so team, and if you don't get Aldridge, maybe you you rebuild a little bit, uh, which they have maybe maybe are doing without exactly wanting to go down that path. If you're the Warriors, no, you can't break up this roster for a chance at, at Durant, but if he wants to come, yeah. I mean, if it, all it costs you is Harrison Barnes, Andrew Bogut, and a first-round pick or two, of course you do that. I think so, although it's an interesting chemistry question because now you've got another guy who's going to want a lot of touches. Um, Curry's got obviously going to get his touches. And now that's going to come out of Clay. That's going to come out of Draymond. And like, how long does the team unity thing stick together? But that said, yeah, again, it's Kevin Durant. Like, <laughs> I don't think you cannot chase that if he if his I people mean, tell them yes, we're interested. Then you've got to have a conversation. I I think sometimes. People go in, you know, people go into those things with the best of intention. It doesn't always work, but the only way you're getting Kevin Durant is if he believes he's comfortable, you know, with his offensive role being reduced. It, obviously, yes. he's not going to be reduced too much. He's still going to be a great player and get a ton of shots, uh, but he's not going to sign there unless he he he'll know mostly what he's getting into. Whether he'll he fully grasps that going in, who knows? Some guys are unpleasantly surprised, but he'll uh, it's not going to be a shock to his system completely. I, I would pay to see the Curry Durant pick and roll. Like I don't oh I'm not quite sure how you defend that. With with Draymond <laughs> spotting up outside to Exactly. You know, when Clay, he's playing Clay's center. in the corner, you can't leave him. Yeah. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> and and Clay Thompson and at the other corner. I mean, un, it's gonna it would be unreal. Yeah, it would be very <laughs> it'd be a challenge to stop and that's not a team by the way I think the way Durant, by the way, fits into that is that that's not a team that runs a ton of plays. I mean, they don't run as structured an offense as you think. They push the ball up tempo, try to find a mismatch. They run some stuff that they know they like. Yeah, they do run some, but if it's a flowing offense where they're jumping in, where they're confident, he's going to he's going to be in a good spot. You know, he's going to be able to come down there, find his spot, get the ball where he wants it, and make plays. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will move on to the next one. Um, well, do you want you want to go down the? Oh, I didn't even do that. You're right. We didn't go down the list. Um, I had Iguodala on mine and Anderson on top. The other guy I had on my list, Will Barton, who's put up numbers out of kind of nowhere in Denver. Yeah, I'll I'll get to Will. Be, Will Barton's on my long list for another award. Uh, but yeah, he would be he'd be a contender. I agreed with the first thing you said that there was no one standout candidate. Yeah. And so you get, you get a long list of guys. He'd be on my long list. Uh, I had Manu Ginobili second. Uh, Again, I had him fourth. You could totally make the argument for, for Manu who's been phenomenal this year. Uh, One of those guys, he and I don't know what he and Dirk did this summer, but they are both playing so much better. Yeah. It's, it's somewhat shocking to see because guys don't usually go that direction at that age. 
No, not uh, at all. I had Tristan Thompson third, and he, you know, he's moved into the starting lineup yeah. now. He might not be eligible by the that's, end of the season. That's why I didn't consider him, actually, yeah. And and one other guy, uh, he didn't even crack my top three, but who I think Warren's mentioned is Ennis Cantor. Uh, and a lot of people like to point at the on-off numbers and his defensive problems, but he spends a lot of his minutes with with Deion Waiters and DJ Augustine. Uh, when he's played with Westbrook and Durant, the Thunder have been very good. He's, he's not a great defender. Everybody knows that. Uh, but he's taking advantage of the opportunity he has. You know, he's he's shooting less, but he's doing it at such a higher efficiency. That's exactly what you want to see for a guy put in that situation. He can help on the glass. Uh, I think he's having a real nice season for a sixth man. It wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the year he's a top three worthy player. I, I possibly, I mean, again, I think you, I balk a little bit because of the defense, but what you're asking him to do is go out there and score with that second unit and, and just not lose ground, which obviously doesn't happen as much as it probably should in, in Oklahoma City. That's another thing. But what he does, if you can keep him in his offensive lane, he's very good. Like he, He's good, like you said, good on the offensive glass, can score a variety of ways inside and out. He, he will put up points for you in that second unit. Yeah, and just I, he does that. And the other thing that impresses me is, you know, when he's playing a more limited role with Westbrook and Durant, he finds ways to contribute then. So it's not just anchoring the second unit. It's providing another dimension, another element they can throw at teams when they want to be at their best instead of, you know, bringing in the reserves just not to lose ground. We move on to uh, Coach of the Year, where I'm going to pick somebody who I guarantee will not win it. Uh, I would oh boy. I will have Greg Popovich at the top of my list. Okay, uh, he's number two on my list. Yeah, I, 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 and I think he'd be near the top. He should be on the top of it, or near the top in that top group. I think you can make a – I'm going to guess who you have at number one is uh, some interim guy. Uh, no, actually, that, that interim guy didn't even make my top three. Oh, really? I would have him in the top three. So, all right, who did you have on top of yours? Uh, Rick Carlisle. Ooh, which is Just a, really, a, a real guy. hodgepodge roster with the Mavericks again. It seems like he does this every yeah. year and – you know, no DeAndre Jordan. Everybody thought they were toast, and he's making it work. The the ball's moving. Everybody seems to understand their roles, he's, and and they're clicking. I I can't believe they're this good, and I think Carlisle deserves a lot of the credit. A lot of the credit. Also, getting look, Darren Williams hasn't looked this good in a long time, and a little bit that of that is is health. But there is nobody better in the league at putting guys in spots to succeed. Maybe the other guy, Popovich, we were talking about, but. Um, Carlisle is so good at the X's and O's and so good at kind of, well, he does this well. Let's put him here and use him this way so, so that he's playing to a strength. It, it makes guys look often better than they necessarily are. He's been phenomenal with that this year because, like you said, this roster was kind of like they thought they had DeAndre Jordan, and after they didn't get him, it became a little bit of a thrown-together thing, and they have, you know, they're using um, – Wes Matthews is looks phenomenal. They're using him brilliantly, and you know, coming off that Achilles, just everything he's done has looked really good. Um, I would say the only reason I have Popovich ahead of them is simply that, and he won't win. He just never wins. But they've reinvented themselves for the. I, I've lost track now. What are we up to? Forty eighth time that the Spurs have reinvented <laughs> themselves under him. They've gone back to defense first, playing slow, two bigs. And I don't mean back to in the sense of they're not running the same sets they ran with David Robinson and, and Duncan back in the day and that kind of thing. It's a different league now. But in terms of broad stroke style, they've gone back to more of that, reinvented themselves, and are killing it. 
Yeah, uh, I take this award and and most of them fairly literally. So when I think about coach of the year, yes, I think Greg Popovich is the best coach in the NBA. Well, yeah. Uh, But when I think about coach of the year, it's coach of the year. So how much has he done this year? So you look at a couple of the other times he won. He won 2014, 2012. Uh, He also got one 2003. That one's probably the most deserved. Uh, I look at it as how much of your coaching have you done this year? A lot of Popovich's great coaching, you know, if he tells Tim Duncan something, 15 years ago like I don't think that should factor into him winning the award this year but like you said he's done a lot this year they've reinvented themselves they've integrated LaMarcus Aldridge more quickly than than I think a a lot of us expected I think a lot of coaches would have had trouble with that it's it's not easy to bring in that level of a player and make him fit and so they've they've shuffled their roster there were major depth questions about this team yep. uh, and their bench looks comfortable this year. So I, I think he's done a lot this year, not quite as much as Carlisle. I'd have him second, but I, I think he's done an excellent job this year. Obviously, by the way, the key to the uh, the Spurs bench is that they're all a little bit jacked up from the espresso that, that Boris Dio was making <laughs> in his locker with an espresso machine. They're, they're all coming off very amped up. And I, I think that, that that is the next trend in the NBA is espresso machines in the locker room. <laughs> yeah, you know, you just want to make sure all the players have a, a body just like Boris Dio. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, he is He is the, man, Yeah. The, if nothing else Popovich has done, he's kept that guy in almost playing shape most of the time he's been there. Because that was, Charlotte, the Charlotte version of him was uh, was not pretty. <laughs> was, he was not going to be in a calendar, let's put it that way. He's not. He's not making the male model calendars with that Charlotte body. Um, who else do you have in your list? We should mention Luke Walton. He didn't make your top four. He would have been in my top three. But, um, again, I, he's a bit of a housekeeper. Obviously, this was Steve Kerr's team and Steve Kerr's system, but they're 34 too. Like, the guy gets some credit here. Oh, yeah, I think he's done a good job. Uh, but I, I'm giving enough of the credit to Kerr for really having such a strong system in place where, where he can – sit out games and they'll keep it rolling like Walton deserves credit just not quite enough to crack my top three uh, so my one is Carlisle two is Popovich and third I'd have Frank Vogel from the Pacers yeah. I think he's done a real nice job of installing that that smaller system and going back to to them playing big so they can play small they can play big players seem to know their roles in both sets and and they keep it moving uh, the other guy I would have on that list either in the list or just off of it um, but I would actually have third is I think Steve Clifford has done a phenomenal job uh, kind of bringing everything back around in Charlotte. Uh, that may stumble as they go forward. They've, they've lost a few in a row of late, and it hasn't been the same. Uh, amazingly, when you lose Al Jefferson, you sometimes aren't as good and, and have to play without Nicholas Batum for stretches. Uh, they've taken some hits, but he's done a phenomenal job kind of getting their defense back on track and getting that, that team back on track. Yeah, I mean, a, a week or two ago, he probably would have been in my top three. I'm not quite sure what to make of them during this this downslide. If they turn it back around, he could get there. Uh, you know, I, when I got to number three, I felt it was pretty wide open. I picked Vogel, yeah. uh, but it definitely could be Clifford in that top three by the end of the year for sure. Yeah, I, I was impressed. Like I said, I think I was impressed and I had him there, but, but I think somebody like Vogel could easily move past him just because he's stumbling. And, and not he's stumbling. I don't, again... At the end of the day, talent wins in the NBA, and a bunch of his is injured and out, and and you're just not you take two of the best players off any team, and they're not quite the same. Um, but it's a deep, deep group. Now let's get to my least favorite award. Uh, you, you, this one doesn't. You don't like Sixth Man of the Year. I don't know what your issue is with Sixth Man of the Year, other than other than you're a curmudgeon. 
<laughs> well, if you just arbitrarily set this line of, okay, we're going to eliminate, not exactly, but somewhat roughly, like, the best 100 to 150 players in the league, uh, because most good players start, okay, who's the best of these other players? <laughs> it's a that's a fair point. I mean, I actually once had a, uh, uh, a scout tell me that the difference between the NBA in Europe is the top 150. It's like, then it becomes about system and role guys and athleticism and some other stuff, but there's a lot of guys you can plug in from the elite levels of Europe at 150 and below in bench roles in the NBA that, that just don't exist. Like they, But nobody in Europe, or I shouldn't say nobody, but there are very few guys in Europe who would crack the top 150. Um, and most of the great European players who could are already over here because they make more money. So... Um, yeah, it, it is kind of an arbitrary point point in time, but I, I get I think that that doesn't it feel like that that's a throwback to when you started your best five and those guys played as a unit longer and you were kind of looking for that. I think things are more fluid now than they used to be. Yeah, that's probably part of it, but maybe even then it made less sense because if you if you're definitely starting your best five, <laughs> yeah. then what's why are we honoring this one extra person? <laughs> So, yeah, I just never felt comfortable with a good def- – really, I just don't know how to define most improved, which used to be comeback player of the year. I just I, – Well, they were two separate before. Yeah, I just – what is it exactly? What am I looking for? The guy the, – often – my problem is this, and I think it's just – sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It's not the guy who improved so much as the guy who had good numbers and suddenly the coach started playing him, you know? Sometimes guys get these huge number bumps when I don't know that their efficiency improved or they – made some huge stride in their game. They just got an opportunity and took advantage of it. Um, and maybe that's the case for this year because we probably both have C.J. McCollum at the top of the list. We do, and I like to look for guys, uh, and it depends on the year, and there's, it's sort of a sliding skill, and I agree it can be not the most straightforward way of, of picking an award, uh, but I like to look for guys who both got a bigger role and improved in their in their per-minute ability. Yeah in that role like that's and that's what McCollum has done he's playing better than he played last year and he's playing more and that that's a hard leap to make it is he, and, and and was put in a real tough situation this year obviously in Portland where you know they I mean going into the season we weren't expecting this out of him we were like well they've got Damian Lillard to create plays for everybody else and then you know good luck but he has proved to be a solid second playmaker and put up great numbers and done really well when when Lillard's been out, uh, either off the floor during a game or just had to miss some time, uh, he's played phenomenally, and, and you keep waiting for teams to shut him down, and he's just not. He's he's found another group. Uh, and who do you have uh, further down your ballot? Uh, Evan Fournier, um, who uh, I think a little bit of gotten a chance, but I think he's finally found a role, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he's found a nice role. It's it's a good spot for him. He's taking advantage of it. Interestingly enough, I, I wrote down eight names as guys <laughs> who, who I thought were solid choices who I could see in my top three. And, you know, I have a top three, I, but I could go back and forth. And Fournier didn't even make my top eight. He was one guy I was looking at. He's definitely a contender, but I didn't have him that well, Who high. would you have ahead of him? I'm curious. So my number two uh, is Lance Thomas who has added a jump shot to go along with his hustle ability and turned himself into somebody who I couldn't really understand. I could understand why coaches liked him, but I couldn't understand why GMs were signing him to be in the NBA uh, to a, a pretty good rotation player for the Knicks. Uh, number three, I had Reggie Jackson. I had, that's who, who I had third as well, yeah. Who, who's made this jump from a, a backup who played reasonably well to a starter who's playing very well. So we talk about somebody who's both playing a bigger role and doing more per minute. 
And I, I think he hits both boxes. And then the five other guys who decide how you want to how you want to rank them. Uh, Dwight Powell, I think, has made a lot of progress for the Mavericks. The, those guys who are the throw-ins in that Rajon Rondo trade, him and Jay Crowder. Yeah, are, been, are Jay Crowder's good. earned himself a big payday coming up. Yeah, he's he's become a, a little bit like people are looked at, um, not the same level, but the kind of 3 and D guy that everybody's looking for right now. Sure. I don't think he got enough money last year. Yeah. Five years, $35 million. I mean, it was... Yeah, that's nice right. He's, that's right. He I, I thought right? he could have pushed I kept for thinking more. he was coming up, but he signed relatively long term. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then uh, Matthew Delvadova, I think, has made nice strides. Uh, Will Barton, who we talked about in Superman. Yeah, Man. Will Barton would have to be on that list too. Yeah. And then two others, a little unconventional, but I, I think they've both improved a lot, and this might be the harder type of improvement to make: Kawhi Leonard and Steph Curry. Steph Curry is an interesting discussion, and I was going to bring him up because he ends up on some people's list. He is legitimately much better than he was a year ago. Not necessarily just shooting threes and, and launching from distance, which he could always do well. It's it's He's much better right now on his drives. When he puts the ball on the floor, his finishing in the paint, his uh, physical strength and ability to finish over and around guys inside has gotten dramatically better this year. Yeah. I mean, he's just in all really all facets of scoring, he's made strides. You know, that that's probably the one where he's made the biggest, though. Yeah, and I think well, that, I think that that opens up so much more within their offense because suddenly he's going inside and he can score. Obviously, he can dish out of that, and we're back to hey, there's Draymond at the arc and there's Clay Thompson at the arc. Good luck with that. That makes it so much harder to defend when he can do all those things. Absolutely. And you're right with Kwai. I, I think in Kwai's case, you're talking mostly offensively. I mean, he was locked down defender before, but he's really evolved offensively. Yeah, all, all his progress is really offensively. He's he's taking a bigger role than I think, at least I ever thought he could take, and he's playing more efficiently. Like it's it's a tough combo to pull off. Yeah, it is, and so it's I I, I think you're remiss in leaving Evan Fournier off the list, but I will forgive you this time, um, this time around. But it it's an interesting award. But I would say right now, I mean, I think if right now just looking at it going ahead, Curry is MVP. Towns as Rookie of the Year, Leonard as Defensive Player of the Year, and McCollum as Most Improved are likely to be that way at the end of the season. Would you say that that's fair? Yeah, I would t- I would take any one of those players for those awards over the field. Yeah, definitely. I, I think things can change, but right now I think that those guys are, they're not locks. Nothing's a lock with a little more than half of a season left, but those guys have clear front runner status now, and and somebody's going to have to catch them, to to beat them. And I don't think it's going to be that easy for you know maybe Kawhi Leonard or or Durant or somebody can catch Curry for MVP or you know Porzingis or Okafor threaten. But I I just don't see it. I I think if for threatening Towns, I mean if for a rookie of the year, I just I think that those are pretty locked in. Six man and coach of the year are more open. Definitely agree. There's no one person for either one of those I would, I would take over the field. Yeah. I think everybody is probably even less than 40%, whoever the leader is. Yeah, that, that's those two are going to be a lot more open as we go through. Uh, Dan, thanks for doing this. Um, if you check out the Pro Basketball Talk podcast on Thursday, and by the way, you can find us now on Stitcher if you're looking for us out there. We've, we've added that. We've added uh, a website for the page, which you can find. Uh, if you go to Pro Basketball Talk, you can link and find a podcast to site there we've got it linked there you can find it pretty easily a bunch of places um we've added places that you can find this podcast uh, if you come back and check us out on thursday we've got jabari young uh who covers the spurs themselves uh 
right before they take on the fan, you know, thir next Thursday, they take on a Thursday night game against the, the uh, Cavaliers. Uh, we're going to talk Spurs and how they got there and all the details about, about why Dan is wrong about coach of the year. Um, we, will, we will detail that with Jabari Young on Thursday. Uh, plus, probably by then, like, Billy King will be back to being GM of the Nets, and we'll probably have to talk about that. So he, I think he's going to pick himself, Dan, as the, as the new head of the – as a new coach, GM for the Nets. The good old Dick Cheney. <laughs> exactly. I'm in, he's going to go Al Haig. I'm in charge here. Um, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Dan, thanks again for being here, and we will talk to all of you soon. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.